How are you today, church, on this very good Friday? Good, blessed? Were you guys blessed with that worship? Man, I was blessed. Some of you are just like, we're just happy that you're not doing it. <laughs> I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible this good Friday to Luke chapter 23 as we recount the story of what we observed today on Good Friday. And we're going to talk a lot about what the Lord Jesus Christ did that day on the cross for our sins. You see, when we come today and we gather and we sing and we worship, we observe and we remember and we know that truly it is a Good Friday because the Lamb of God has taken care of the sins of the world. Amen. You see, the purpose of Christ was fulfilled on that Good Friday. And it tells us the cross, when we look at the cross, it tells us that God is for us and that He is not against us. It tells us that God loves us. And it shows us that He took the judgment of the sins of the world from the past, of the present and of the future. And all that judgment, He paid your debt and He paid my debt so that me and you can be forgiven. You see, the cross is all about being redeemed. The cross is all about being forgiven. The cross is all about the love of God, and it's all about reconciliation. You think about when our relationship with Christ was broken because of our sins. You think about how we were lost and hurting and in pain, but Christ came now as the Son of God to die on the cross for our sins as the ultimate rescue mission. And today we can come, before we go to communion, we can come with gratitude saying, we thank you, Lord, because we don't have to cover our sins anymore because you already covered them for us with the blood of the Lamb. Amen. We thank you because we don't have to be ashamed and we can walk boldly into the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in time of need. You see, I love when you look at the cross because you know that it wasn't nails that held Jesus on that cross. It was love that held Jesus on that cross for you and for me. You know, Billy Graham said it best when he said the cross shows us the seriousness of our sins, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. What does it show us? The immeasurable love of God, that He loved us so much. When you look at the cross, you look at a statement of love that He was willing to go that far because He loved you. God loves you. And willing to give His only Son so that you can have relationship with Him. So that you can have fellowship with Him. You see, Christ, He suffered on Friday so that He can have victory on Sunday. We learn and we experience the cross and we learn forgiveness on Friday so that we can experience victory on Sunday. We had to go through the suffering so that we can go into the victory. And today we're going to stop at the cross. We're going to enjoy the cross. We're going to embrace the cross because that's where we find our identity and that's where we find forgiveness and that's where we get a spiritual transformation. I don't know about you, but I pray that today you came for a spiritual transformation. That you came for something different. That you came for something new. And that today, because of the cross, you can turn in the anxiety. Today, because of the cross, you can turn in the fear. You can turn in the depression. You can turn in all the anger, the resentment now. 
You can turn that all in at the cross because finally God, at the day of atonement, sent His Son to atone and to pay the price for our sins. And now you can come to the cross and say, I am laying and casting my burdens before the Lord because He cares for me and because He loves me. I love what it says in Isaiah. I'm going to read it to you. It says in Isaiah 53, over a thousand years before Jesus came now to the cross, it talks about the suffering Messiah, that He had to suffer. But you know what the end result of the suffering, the end result of the cross was? It was our healing. And if today you came needing some healing, needing some spiritual healing, maybe needing some physical healing, we can be sure that at the cross we find both. It says that in Isaiah 53 verse 3 that He was despised and He was rejected. That He was despised and He was rejected. That the world wanted nothing to do with Jesus. That they despised Him. They looked down on Him. They rejected Him. There was nothing attractive about Jesus in the eyes of this world. And it said He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. You see, the word sorrows and grief is a word that maybe some of us came in walking with. Sorrow in our heart and grief in our mind. You know what sorrows and grief mean? It means sickness and pain. And maybe we're experiencing sickness and pain. Well, Jesus was acquainted. He was familiar with sickness and with pain. For you and for me. And we hid it as if we, our faces were hid from Him. He was despised and we did not esteem Him. Surely He bore our griefs and He carried our sorrows. He carried your griefs and He carried your sorrows. The Bible says, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. You see, everything that Christ was going through on that Good Friday before that, even as He was scourged and judged and tried, it was done by the hand of the Father. The judgment, the hand of God's wrath was upon the Son. And I love what the Bible tells us because then it says, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. Because of the stripes of Jesus Christ, you are healed today. Because of the stripes of Jesus Christ, you can have communion today and you can have fellowship with Him. Because of the suffering of our Savior today, I can have strength even through suffering. You can choose joy even through pain. You can choose now healing instead of walking around with hurt because He was willing to suffer for you and go to the cross. And I love what we can do today as we go to the cross. We can say, Lord, I'm not going to walk around with this hurt anymore. I don't have to walk around with this shame anymore. I don't have to walk around with this grief anymore because I can come boldly to the throne of grace and find healing now in the stripes of my Savior. See, today you can find healing in the stripes of your Savior. You know that the prophet Isaiah said that you would find provision of healing in the stripes and in the suffering of Jesus, that you would find it there? And not only is it a temporary healing, it's, a, it's an ultimate healing. The ultimate healing now is the resurrection when we get even to heaven. That is the most glorious promise of healing that you and I can expect and, and live with that type of promise. And to know that we are going to experience full healing. And now in Luke chapter 23, knowing the prophecy that this was Jesus, the Messiah, the Son that was to pay the price for our sins. It says that he was before Pilate now at this time. 
the Roman governor. And he knew Pilate at this moment that Jesus now was innocent. And over two or three times, he tried to bring Jesus out and say, you know, this man is innocent. We have to let him go. He has done nothing wrong. I find no harm or no wrong in him, in Jesus. He was innocent. See, Jesus, even at the cross, he was innocent. He was just paying the price for someone else's death. The Bible says that, we, that he took our sins and placed them on himself and he took his righteousness and then placed them on us that means that he said i'm willing to trade places with you let me get on the cross so i can pay your sins and now you're right with god and i am going to pay the judgment and the price of the father's anger on your behalf so you don't have to do it you see here that he was standing before pilate and pilate goes on and in his last attempt he grabs barabbas and he grabs Barabbas, a man that was accused of rebellion and of murder. And he says, here, why, don't this man go, why doesn't this man go to the cross instead of Jesus? In the Passover, they were used to releasing one prisoner. And here now, Pilate was trying to release to the Jews Barabbas, a, a, a man full of rebellion and a, accused now of murder and guilty. Well, isn't that us? Barabbas, a man and a people of rebellion, a people that have been guilty of sin. But Jesus took the place of Barabbas that day, and he took your place and my place that day as well. It says in Luke here, verse 26, that as they now have, are leading Jesus to Golgotha, they're taking him down now to the, on the road to Calvary, also known as the Via Dolorosa. And it says in verse 26, and now they led him away, and they laid on him, here it says, and they laid on, uh, here a hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian. See, Simon of Cyrenian was a man that he went that day to celebrate the Passover feast. He was just walking there by passing, and they held him now, Simon of Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on Simon they laid the cross that he may bear it after Jesus. I want you to know something about Simon because there's a lot of lessons to learn here. When we talk about Simon the Cyrenian, Simon was just there going by passing. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. In fact, to touch the cross, to be associated with the Roman cross was such a humiliating statement that he, nobody wanted to touch a cross because you were publicly humiliated. It was the worst way of punishment that the Romans could have thought of this. In fact, the Romans didn't even think of this. But when they found out about this type of punishment, they excelled it to a different level of a public demonstration of how to punish someone and make a statement now to the world. And now they have Simon of Cyrene in here that he's walking down and they get the cross and they lay it on Simon. You see, he was called to carry the cross. And today you're called to carry the cross as well. It was interesting here because he starts to learn what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to walk on the road to Calvary. You know what that road looks like? It looks like the road of self-denial. It looks like the road of humility. It looks like the road to discipleship. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And they carried it, carried it now, and they laid on him so that he can follow Jesus. And look what it says in verse here 26, because it says that he may bear it after Jesus. So that he can follow Jesus carrying the cross. What a beautiful picture here that Simon of Cyrenian is teaching us. That in order to follow Jesus, you have to carry the cross. 
And now Simon here is carrying the cross and he's bearing it after Jesus when most people that day did not want to associate with the cross because it meant self-denial, because it meant surrender. They wanted nothing to do with the cross. I think today more than ever, we want nothing to do with the cross because the cross is inconvenient. Because the cross demands surrender. Because the cross demands humility. Because the cross demands that I empty myself. But Simon here for us became an illustration of how to follow Jesus. Because that day, what looked like it was a catastrophe for Simon of Cyrene. It turned into an opportunity now for him to get closer to Jesus more than ever before. Just think about Simon walking there and now he has to hold the cross now. He gets to get as close and as intimate to Jesus as anyone else on that road because he was carrying the cross. You want to feel close to Jesus today? Then carry the cross. Then get on that road to Calvary. You see, because the cross gets us close to Jesus. The cross brings us into contact with Jesus. And God will even use difficult situations on that road to Calvary. God will use even humiliating situations sometimes to bring us to the cross so that He can get us close to Jesus. And sometimes we say, Lord, I don't want you to, to bring me to that situation where I have to carry a cross. In fact, Jesus said, in Matthew, He said, Jesus said to His disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross. And follow me. Why? Because the cross is the place where you understand the love of God. Is the cross is the place where you understand forgiveness. The cross is the place where we become right with God. It is as soon as we start to get away from the cross that we are no longer right with the Lord. And it says now in verse 27, And a great multitude of people followed him, and women also mourned and lamented him. Women were crying and following him. But you see that Jesus on that road to Calvary, He's filled with compassion. He's filled with compassion. He's filled with love for you and for me. Amongst the great multitude, amongst the many people that were watching Jesus on the sideline, Jesus now turns and He notices them weeping. He notices them crying. He notices them lamenting. And it's interesting here because we have to talk a little bit about lament. Because Jesus notices on this road your lament. He notices now your mourning. And it says here now that He notices and Jesus turned to them. He turned to you when you were weeping. He turned to you when you were crying. He turned to you when you were suffering. And it says that He turned to them now going on that road. And He said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. He said, don't cry for me, Jesus, on that road. He's not saying, save me. He's not saying, get these people away from me. He's saying, don't cry for me. Do not cry for me, please. He's not making it about himself now because Jesus is looking through the eyes of compassion. You know what the cross gets, allows you to do? It, it changes your perspective and you start to look at people through the lens of the cross, through the lens of compassion now. And he says, do not cry for me, do not weep for me. In verse 28, it tells us here, but weep for yourselves and for your children. You know what he's saying here, don't cry for me? Cry for your state, he's saying. Cry because you have rejected me as your Messiah. Cry for Jerusalem. Cry for the state of these people because they have rejected the Messiah here. And in verse 29, for indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren wounds that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. In verse 29 it says here that those people, it's going to come a day where the times are going to be so bad that you are going to praise people that cannot have children. In that time, if you couldn't have children, now it was 
counted as, as almost a curse. It was counted as, as someone that was despised. And this curse at this time of rejection and in an evil dark time, it would be counted as a blessing because people rejected now Christ. And it says here, indeed the days are coming in which they would say, blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. People are going to want to die in these days, they said. And Jesus is explaining to us the judgment, the destruction to come. Why? Because people rejected the Lord. So you have to understand that without Jesus, it's just destruction. Without the Messiah, it's just judgment upon ourselves. But it says that then, he, then they will begin to say, The mountain fall on us and hills cover us. For if they do these things to the green wood, what will be done in the dry? If they do these things to those that are innocent, what's going to happen? Or imagine what's going to happen to those that are actually guilty. What's going to happen to them at that time? What type of accountability are they going to receive? And it says here now in verse 32, And then there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. This is so prophetic because the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that Jesus would be now die a death among criminals. And it says in verse 30, here 30 now 3, And they came to the place called Calvary. If you like taking notes, I'm going to encourage you to underline that they came to the place called Calvary because that was a place where he was numbered among the transgressors, amongst other criminals, amongst those that are guilty, amongst those that were committing crime. But the place called Calvary is the place of surrender. And I, I pray that today before we go to communion that we would go to the place called Calvary that we would visit Golgotha, the place called Skull, because it is the place where we surrender and that we now exchange all our sins for the forgiveness of God. See, the place called Calvary is a place where we decide to follow Jesus and to obey. The place called Calvary is the place that we say, you know, we're going to surrender at the cross. We're going to visit brokenness at Calvary. And it's the place where you allow God to take control. It's the place where you say, you know what, I'm not, no longer going to be in control. I want God to be in control. When you come to the cross, that's what you're saying. Lord, I don't want to be in control. Lord, I want you to be in control. And that's what it means to go to Calvary. It means God's will and it doesn't mean our will. And Jesus comes now to the place called Calvary or the place of surrender, the place of death to self, the place of obedience now, the place of Calvary, where He's going to demonstrate the most ultimate now price of paying now your debt and of love for us. It says, verse 34, Then Jesus sat here at Calvary, and there they crucified Him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. There He was crucified, Jesus. But it tells us now in verse 34, one of, or the first of, the seven last statements of Jesus. And the first statement that Jesus said on the cross was so significant. In fact, some people believe it was the most powerful statement that he could have said at the cross. Because you start to know who Jesus was thinking about at the cross. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you the entire time. And it says here at the cross in verse 34 that Jesus cries out and he says, Father, he starts to pray at the cross for you. Isn't that amazing? 
that when Jesus went now to Calvary and he's hanging there, he starts to care for those that are needy, those that are lost. And he starts to pray for his enemies. He starts to pray for his accusers at the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. Because the cross is the place of forgiveness. And if we've come today maybe heavy, and if we want the Lord to forgive us, that's why we come to the cross. The number one thing that Jesus went to hang on the cross was so that the Father can forgive you. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We were blinded when we rejected the Lord. We had absolutely no idea. And he starts to pray for their forgiveness because they didn't know what they were doing. You know what Jesus was doing at the cross? He was interceding to the Father. He was standing on your behalf to God. He was saying, forgive them of their error. Forgive them of their trespasses. Forgive them on their sin. That was the entire purpose of the cross was forgiveness. And it's interesting here because he starts to pray. What do we learn here from the first statement of Jesus at the cross? We learn, number one, here that Jesus teaches us when to pray. He teaches us how to pray. And He teaches us also who to pray for. You see, at the cross we learn that we, are, we ought to be praying. At the cross we learn that we ought to be praying for others, even those that spitefully treat us. And at the cross we learn to pray for those people that don't know what they're doing and for their salvation. Here he goes on in verse 34, he says, And they divided his garments and cast lots. This was prophetic. It said that they grabbed the garments and the Roman soldiers would now throw dice to see who would end up with the garments of Jesus. In Psalms 22, verse 18, the psalmist talks about this, that they would cast lots to decide who would keep now the garments of Jesus. This was all prophecy taking place at the cross. This was demonstrating that Jesus was the Messiah. In verse 35, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered or now mocked him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen one. If he saved other people, why doesn't he save himself? Now, if he really is the Christ, if he really is the chosen one, tell him to save himself then. Multiple times while Jesus was on the cross, they challenged Jesus to get off the cross. But if Jesus got off the cross, that means that he wasn't going to be able to save you. See, Jesus stayed on the cross for you and for me. And he wasn't thinking about how he can get off the cross. He was thinking how he can finish the work and pay for the price of our sins. And he's saying, save yourself then. But the cross is not about yourself. And I, I love that we can talk about this because sometimes we want to be a disciples of Jesus, but we want it to be about ourselves. The cross is not about yourself. The cross is about obedience now. And, and he could not save himself because he was dying in our place. He could not save himself because he knew that that was the moment that it was about complete surrender. Verse 36, it says here, as they go on, and the soldiers also mocked him now, and coming and offering to him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, again, the second time, save yourself. If you're the king of the Jews, we want you to save yourself. We want you to get off the cross. But he's not selfish at the cross. He's loving at the cross. Jesus is not there at the cross for... A promotion, you know, he's there at the cross 
to say, Lord, here I am. Lord, empty me. Are you at the cross today to say, Lord, I'm, it's not about me. Lord, empty me. Because I want to know you more personally. Because I want to be able to stay on the cross. I don't want to stay away from it. I don't want to get off of it. You know when you get off the cross, what happens? Your heart starts to become very hard. Your heart starts to become very hard and you no longer love people the way you used to. You no longer want to serve the Lord the way you used to. You walk away from the forgiveness and what the price that Christ did for you because you stepped away from the cross. And it says in verse 38, as we continue, and the inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. When they would crucify these criminals, they would put now a sign on top of the head of the criminal. And what they would put is they would give them a reason on, as to why they were dying or paying the price for a crime. It's interesting enough to know that in verse 38, it would say this is the king of the Jews. That's why he's dying, because he's the king. See, he came to die as the king, as a servant. And then one of the criminals who were hanging blasphemed him. So one of the criminals that was hanging on the cross started now to reject and to mock and now to talk and speak against Jesus there. Saying, if you are the Christ, then save yourself and us. This is the third time that someone is challenging Jesus to get off the cross. How many times do you get challenged every single day to get off the cross? How many times do you find opportunities where you can get off the cross? Jesus had multiple opportunities where he can get off the cross. In fact, if he wanted to, he could have, but he chose not to for your sake and for mine. And here this criminal is saying, if, if you can, then get off, save yourself, and save us. But the other now, look what he's saying, the other criminal answering, rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? Do you have no fear for God that you are under a condemnation right now? This man that was there, that was paying the price for his crime, had no fear of God. And he showed the most selfish attitude unto Christ. And the, the thing that, that really hinders us from getting close to the Lord is that we don't fear God. And when you don't fear God, you're not going to be able to be sur surrendered there at the cross, at the foot of the cross before the Lord. And he's saying, don't you know that our death is near? Stop talking like that to him. Don't you know that we are about to die? Stop testing Jesus to get off the cross. You don't fear God right now. If you feared God, you would respect Jesus more. He's saying that. But we ought to, the only thing we ought to fear is life without Jesus. Instead of life, always rejecting him. And it says in verse 41, And we indeed hear justly, for we receive due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He is innocent. You know what he was saying? We are guilty, and he's innocent. And that's the way we've come today. We're guilty. But Jesus in his innocence has taken the now judgment of our sins so that we can stand innocent before the Father. And in verse 44, it tells us, Then Jesus said, Lord, then he said to Jesus this next man, it says, said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This next man, moments away from his death, understood that there was hope. This man in the last moments of his life had a living hope now that Jesus is about to give him. 
This man started to place his trust in Jesus as a criminal. Throughout all the sinful history that he had lived in his life, he, he's saying, Lord, remember me when you go into paradise. One of the criminals saying, get me down. And the other criminal saying, Lord, take me up with you. He's not saying, you know, take me down. He's saying, get, take me up with you. He was repenting. You know what's, what this teaches us here in verse 43? That it's never too late to repent. Sometimes we think, well, you, the Lord can't save me. It's too late for me to repent. It's too late for me to receive that gift of salvation. It's too late for me. I've just had been stubborn for so long. I've lived my own way. I'm already set in my ways. And the enemy wants to put that in our minds, that we're set in our ways, that we don't have, we can, we don't have to come to the cross, that, that it, the hope is already gone for us, that the Lord can't do a work in our lives. But here we see that it's never too late to come to Jesus. That it's never too late to come to the cross because there is still there a promise for you at the cross waiting for you. And the promise is here and it says now in verse 43, And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, I promise you, you can bank on this, you can trust this, that today you will be with me in paradise. Today you're going to be in heaven. Today if you were to have to meet the Lord, your, Jesus Christ, if you were to have to meet the Father, are you sure that you're going to be in heaven with Him? Are you sure that you are going to be in heaven with the Father? Because here He's telling them, I assure you that today you're going to be, go to heaven if you, expect, you, you put your trust now in Jesus. The last moments of a life of a man that lived so dark, he knew that he can expect now this hope. And it says in verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness now, after Jesus said these words over all the earth until the ninth hour, from 12 to 3 p.m., 12 noon to 3 p.m., Jesus was hanging on the cross, and for three hours it was completely dark. Now, in, now it says, and there was no sun. And that's when we know that our judgment was completely now taken upon Jesus and, and transferred all our sin and all our guilt onto Jesus at this very moment. And it says now in verse 46 here, uh, verse 45, I'm sorry, it says it was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn into two now. See, before this time, you did not have access to the presence of God. But because Jesus came to the cross, he, the, the, now the veil was torn and now there was the red ribbon cutting now for us, the grand opening for us. So that we know that we have access to the holies of holies and to the very presence of God. And you can personally have a relationship with, with the Father. Because Jesus went to the cross, the veil was torn. You can walk in now to the presence of God. There was an open house coming to the presence of God. Have you ever been excited about going somewhere and stepping in? Where Jesus went to the cross so that you can step into a place that we were never able to step into before. So that we can experience God. But he had to experience separation so that me and you can experience fellowship. And at this moment, he was experiencing separation with the Father so that me and you can experience fellowship. In verse 46, and then he cried out, when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He cries out and he says, Father, it is into your hands that I deposit my spirit. It was until the very last moments of Jesus' life that he said, I am going to surrender my life to the Father's will. Even to the last breath, even to the last word, he said, I am going to commit my, 
my spirit into the hands of the Father. I am going to give. I am going to entrust. I am going to deposit. I'm going to command now my entire spirit to the hands of the Father. And, and that's what it tells us in verse 36. With the loud voice, commit. Here it says, in your hands, my spirit. Whose hands are you in right now? It's a scary thing when we try to move and manipulate our lives with our own hands. And in our hands, we are guilty. But in the hands of the Father, in the hands of Christ the Son, we are forgiven. And it speaks of it. It says here, having said this, he breathed his last. Or in another translation, it would say that he gave up his spirit. You know what it teaches us here when Jesus did this? It teaches us that the cross is a place of giving up now our life to him. The, the cross is a place where we surrender, where we learn to give up. That not only we speak it, that we obey it, that we put our lives into the hands of the Father at Calvary. Because we don't want to walk away with our hands full of self. And it said that he breathed here his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God. When here one of the Roman soldiers saw that what was happening here, he started to glorify God. When he saw the son here, was fully in, now given over to the Father's will that the Father had control that this man was surrendering in himself. He wasn't fighting it. He wasn't fighting against the Father's will. He was surrendering himself to the Father's will. I want you to know that because of the love of God of what He did, me and you don't have to fight His will. Me and you don't have to rebel. We don't have to kick. We don't have to now uh, be rebellious against the will of God. We can come to the cross and surrender now, uh, uh, now to the will of God. And it would speak here in verse 47, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breast and returned. Verse 48. There was a centurion that put his faith in Jesus. But then there was other people that came to that site and they were seeing and they beat their breasts and then they went back home. I pray that that's not us today. That we would come to the site to see as sightseers and just feel guilty just feel remorseful when you look at the cross but then go home with absolutely no difference that we would not go home as business as usual they returned but they did not repent there's so many times where we go to the cross and we go to the cross and we return from the cross but we don't repent when we get there and it said that these people were now beating their breasts. They were remorseful. They, they, it was all about emotion, but there was no change. And that's really religious. When we come in, it's all about emotion, but there's really no change. And in verse 49, But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance. Those who really loved the Lord stood at a distance. It says in verse 49, Watching these things. It's interesting here because the women really stand out in this story. The Bible tells us that the women were the last ones there at the cross. And that the women were the first ones at the tomb. It's interesting how faithful they followed Jesus from Galilee. Traveling to see now their Messiah. And they were the last of the cross and the first of the tomb. They stood and they watched the Lord. They stood there faithfully following. Are you ready to faithfully follow the Lord of what He's done? That He's there ready to love you and to forgive you of, our, of your sins? In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says that when we were still without strength in due time, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Christ did not die for us because we were good or because we were doing really good that he said, you know what, I'm willing to die for them because they're worth it. He died for us when, when we were the worst version of ourselves. For scarcely, in Romans 5, verse here, 6, it says, for a righteous man will one, one die. Rarely will you find someone die for someone that's good. <laughs> here, Paul tells us, yet perhaps for a good man, someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love toward us. That even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were lost, even when we lived a life of darkness, even when we lived a life of rebellion, Christ died for us. It says here, much more than having been justified by His blood, by the blood of Jesus Christ, now we stand right, just as we have never sinned, with a new beginning, with a new plan, with promises ahead in our life because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. We shall be saved from the wrath through Him. A lot of times we say, we're saved. Saved from what? Understand, we're saved from hell. We're saved from sin. We're saved from separation. And we're saved from never, uh, of being in an eternal damnation without the fellowship of the Father and the Son. But it's through Him that we're saved from that type of wrath and that type of judgment. For we were enemies. It says, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. We, were we had an opportunity to reconcile. We had an opportunity to get things right with God. And we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that through whom we have now received reconciliation. You know how you receive reconciliation? When Jesus set you free. When Jesus set you free. He set you free from sin. When He set you free from the bondage of slavery. When He set us free from the captivity of the enemy and set us free from the captivity of the world, He set us free. And now we can have reconciliation because of the cross. You see, this was the ultimate proof of love at the cross. The ultimate proof of the love of God at the cross. I want to read to you very quickly as we come to a close before we take communion. Really the last seven statements of what Jesus said at the cross. Because I believe it's so important that we know the first one we read it today. Where it said, Father forgive them. What a powerful statement we find forgiveness at the cross today. You can find forgiveness at the cross today because of Jesus. Father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Number one, Christ went to the cross so that you can have forgiveness. Number two, that Jesus said at the cross, and we read it today as well in this Gospel of Luke, He told now one of the criminals, today you will be with me in paradise. Number two, today you will be with me in paradise. What did we see take place? A conversion. He was converted at the cross. He was changed at the cross. He put His trust in Jesus at the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. I really believe that God wants to tell us that today. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Today you, you ought to know that you can be with me in paradise. Today you can know that. Today you can know that you can be with me in paradise. In John 19, it tells us the third saying or statement of Jesus at the cross, where Jesus looks at his mother and his mother is weeping there. And then he looks at John, now the apostle, and he says, Behold now your mother. And now he tells his mother, Behold your son. He's now having compassion for the needs even of others and concern for the suffering of his mother. Do you know that Christ is concerned for the way you suffer today? 
He's concerned for your struggle. He's concerned when it comes to your pain. He knows about it. It says in the Bible that he actually grabs your entire tears that drop from your eyes and he collects them in a bottle. Because he knows every single moment that you have spent crying. He knows every single moment that you've struggled. And Jesus at the cross right there, he's looking at his mother and he's looking at her suffer and he's concerned about her suffering. It also tells us that in Matthew 27, the fourth saying of Jesus is that Jesus cried out and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? Why did the Lord forsake? Why did the Father forsake or turn his back on the Son? Because the Son was full of judgment that day. Because the Son had to carry the weight that you could not carry. Because the Son had to pay a price that me and you could not pay. And He cries out, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing a separation that He's never experienced before. And, and we don't even know what that separation looks like. Because here you have the Son from eternity's past enjoying fellowship now with the Father. The Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son in heaven just enjoying fellowship with one another. And then the Father stands up one day from the throne and says, you know what, enough is enough. I need to send my Son. And my Son has to die on the cross for their sins. And then when the judgment of the world was upon Jesus, Jesus for the very first time felt the separation of the Father. Man, I, I just think that when we get to heaven, we're going to fall in love so much more with Jesus. When we see God face to face and you're going to see heaven, we're going to see majesty, and we're going to say, Jesus, you gave this up for me? Jesus, you're willing to come down and give this up for me? You're willing to, to sacrifice and put this all aside for me? This is how much you love me, Father. And then it says in John 19, the fifth saying of Jesus, Jesus said, I thirst. He was so thirsty. He was dehydrated. The Bible tells us that his body went into a shock that day. He was completely dehydrated at the cross. And he said, I thirst. Isn't it interesting to know that the one that offered living water is thirsty? That he became thirsty so that your thirst can be quenched? That he became thirsty so that you don't have to look for your thirst to be satisfied anywhere else anymore? That he became thirsty so you don't say, I have to go get satisfied over here or over there, over there. He said, I'm going to become thirsty for all of humanity so that they can come here and drink the living water that I was talking about. And now in the sixth saying of Jesus. Jesus, after he commits, before he commits his spirit, he cries out to Telestai. Oh man, that's awesome. I want you to know what the telestai means. Because the telestai means it is finished. It is done. The work is completed. The reason why Jesus came to this earth was completed at the cross. It is done. It's finished. Father, we did it. We saved them. You see, the word to telestai speaks of an athlete crossing that finish line and now here coming to try to break that string in the finish line and he comes and he says it is finished victory is shocking and knocking at the door of your heart now because of jesus it is finished
It speaks of victory. It speaks of a paid price now. It speaks of a cry of a winner. Have you ever seen someone finish and win and just cry out? The cry of a winner at the cross to tell us that he went, he, he won that day for you and for me. He paid the price. We finally paid it. I think about people when I see them at work sometimes that they come in with smiles on their faces and they're about to say, I'm going to pay off my house today, the debt. And you know what the first question that they ask me, when do I get the deed? You know what Jesus did when he cried out his finish? He grabbed the title deed of death from Satan and from hell. And he says, Father, here is the deed of death. Here is the deed of sin. Here is the deed. Now we have them saved. The deed is on our hands now. It's not in the hands of the world anymore. We have the deed. The, the price has been paid in full. Here's the deed, Father, to tell us that it is finished. And then the seventh saying of Jesus, after he said, here's the deed, then Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This is the most beautiful thing that Jesus could have done at the cross because he's saying the work is done. I'm ready to die. The work is done. I'm ready to die. The work is done. I'm ready to surrender my spirit. I can give it up now because the work is done. I can give it up because the work is done. Today you can give up your life. You can surrender your life. You can put your life in his hands because the work has already been done for you. And Jesus did that work that day on the cross. And because of that, you can say, Lord, here is my life because the work is done. See, when we study these seven sayings, it reminds us and it makes us realize how much we're not like Jesus. It reminds us how much Jesus loves us. It reminds us how much God loves us, how much you mattered, how valuable you are to God, how God said you are so worth it. Sometimes we think that people are not worth it. They're not worth our time. They're not worth our energy. They're not worth our love. They're not worth our sacrifice because they've betrayed us way too many times because they're, they're, there's nothing that they can give us that they would offer us that would bring some type of value or exchange now that would make sense as to why we sacrifice. But Jesus said, you know what? They are so worth it just like sinners. That's how much I love them because he thought you were worth it. And if today you're here and you want to make things right with God, you say, before I take communion, I need to reconcile. I want to know that if I go home, if eternity is at my door, I want to know that if it's for sure that I am today, that the Lord calls me, that I can go to heaven. I want to be like one of those criminals who said, today they receive those words, today you will be with me in paradise. That you know for certain, that you have no doubt that you're going to go to heaven. You have no doubt of a new beginning in Jesus. You have no doubt that you can be saved through Jesus Christ, through his blood. And that's you today. If you want to say, I want to reconcile, I want to make things right, I want you to just raise your hand right there where you are because I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. As we all bow our heads, let's go ahead and just pray right now. Lord, we ask, Lord, as we're here, if there's anybody here that needs prayer, that wants 
to be refreshed at the cross. They want to be refreshed by your love. Just raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. The Lord, amen. Praise God. I see you. Praise the Lord. I see you. Praise God. I see your hand. I see your hand. Praise God. I see your hand back there. Praise the Lord. Praise God. God is in the business of restoration. Lord, we ask right now by the power of your spirit for those that have raised their hands that want to give up. Maybe we have to give up something. We have to give up maybe, Lord, a sin. We have to give up maybe pride. We have to give up maybe selfishness. Maybe today we have to give up a hard heart. If you come in today with a very hard heart, I pray that today you wouldn't leave with it. That you would leave with a very joyful heart in what Jesus did at the cross for you. If you come with an anxious spirit, I would pray that you would leave the worry behind. If you come with a depressed mind, I, leave, I pray that you would leave that behind. Because Jesus went to the cross to give you joy and the promise of eternal life. Lord, we ask for those that have raised their hands that want more of you. That you would completely change them from the inside out today, Lord. We don't want to leave the same. We want you to cleanse our hearts, Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we come to the cross, that it would never be something common. It would never be something regular. It would be the ultimate now place of love, of surrender, and of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the communion board to come forward as we sing this song, and we're going to get ourselves ready to partake of communion tonight.